you are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and this week's guest is Dr. Brandon Patton. Dr. Patton is the owner dentist at Ames Family Dental located in Ames, Iowa. Dr. Brandon, great to have you on the Practice Growth Podcast. Thank you for making some time with us to share your story. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. So let's just start with a little context uh, for the audience. Could you share a little bit of your background uh, about your journey in dentistry and sort of how you reached this current point of your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in, I was born in Des Moines, but um, grew up in Norwalk for 11 years and then um, spent uh, the next 10 years in Spencer and <clears throat> met my wife in seventh grade art class. <laughs> and uh, she ended up at, at Iowa State and I went to school at Warburg and got a biology degree there. And uh, then we both ended up in Iowa City for graduate school. And uh, I went to dental school, obviously, and she went to medical school. And um, after school there in Iowa City, uh, I w- was in the Navy. And so I spent four years in the Navy uh, as a dentist. And then uh, we really had a desire to get back to um, Iowa or the Midwest in order to be closer to family as we started our own family. So worked out for us to come back to Iowa and live in Ames. So we've been in Ames for almost 12 years now and love it there. It's a great community and, and central Iowa for that matter is awesome. And so we're very happy there and no plans of going anywhere unless we get uh, asked to leave, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope. Yeah. Well, so, I'm a Hawkeye fan living in Ames. So oh. I'm, I'm always just a little, you know, how is that going to work? But they're they're pretty understanding. Well, they have to be with the the recent history uh, on on the on the gridiron and on the basketball court, at least, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we don't want to alienate anyone, so we'll just keep it to dentistry today, I guess. That's but, good. Uh, That's a good plan. <laughs> with each guest we sort of have on the podcast, uh, there's always a few interesting layers, I think, to every dentist story, and and you're no exception. I I, I do want to start with the military angle, if you're okay with it. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. just at the beginning, how did you decide to to join the Navy in conjunction with your your dental journey, and what were some of the unique elements of that path? Well, if I was going to be completely honest, I, I'd say I got interested in the military uh, in high school. Actually, um, both of my grandpas were um, members of the military and served during World War II. Uh, one in the army and one in the navy, and I had a few uncles and a cousin that were all serving, and so we kind of had a family that um, just a history of service uh, through the military. And so um, I looked into the service academies and was preparing to go down that road. And and for lack of a better term, I really just honestly chickened out. Um, I met I met some guys that had already applied, and they were super hardcore. And um, I was like, "Man, I'm <clears throat> that's not me." And so uh, I ended up going to Warburg, which was a great decision. And uh, Warburg had a program that you could uh, apply early admission to the University of Iowa if you completed uh, some core classes. And um, so I, I applied and I got in. And I thought, man, I'm you know I'm a sophomore in college, and I've got a little time ahead of me, uh, maybe I'll explore uh, how I can kind of have a career in dentistry. And I started to think about the military again. And 
I had no idea what to do. And so what do you do when you have no idea? You know, Google wasn't a real big thing back then. So uh, I picked up the phone and called a Navy recruiter. And, um, you know, it was kind of his lucky day. I, I just yeah. called and said, hey, do you need dentists in the Navy? And uh, <laughs> little did I know this guy was the number one healthcare recruiter for the Navy in the country that year. And uh, he meets me, you know, that week uh, to have lunch and, and kind of tells me how you can go about doing it and then kind of slides in this little, oh, and by the way, there's actually some scholarships, you know, if you want to apply for a scholarship. And so uh, I looked into that and applied and, and was fortunate enough to to receive a scholarship. And so um, the Navy paid for my uh, dental school and uh, and then I served four years in return. And it was a great experience for me. I, I'd do it again in a heartbeat for a number of reasons. So did you sign up as a sophomore, as an undergrad to then start in the Navy once you began dental school two or three years later? Yeah. I mean, it, it took some time um, to go through the application process. Uh, there was there was an FBI investigation, you know, um, which is, is standard. It's not just me. Um, <laughs> Uh, even though there, I'm sure there's plenty of red flags uh, for me, but um, <laughs> they, they do that for every officer candidate. And, and that takes a few months and, and, you know, they have selection boards. And so it was in my junior year that I actually took an oath of office and committed to the scholarship program and was officially in the Navy. And uh, the program didn't formally begin until we started dental school. So it's a great program and, uh, you know, it's great for the Navy and it, it was great for me. You know, the, the Navy provides dental care to the Navy and Marine Corps and they need dentists to do that. And, uh, and obviously it was great for me to finance my dental education and also, you know, just getting out of, out of dental school, you want to get experience mm. and, uh, there's just no, in my opinion, there's no better way to get experience than to go into the military. Um, you have a captive audience, lots of patients, you get to meet incredible people and have incredible experiences. And, um, you know, the things beyond the dental chair actually were probably more important for me to learn. Um, and just to have that kind of opportunity to learn leadership skills and people skills and just the, the satisfaction and the pride of having served your country. You know, it's, it's something that, that I've, been grateful for uh, ever since I had that opportunity. Wow. Uh, maybe just to back up a step, what were your obligations as a dental student? Because just the curriculum there can be somewhat overwhelming for someone just starting out. And then to, yeah. to, to tack on the, the naval aspect of it too, I think that would be a full plate. Well, honestly, they, they make it really easy for you. You don't have any, any official uh, responsibilities. Um, I think we had to do some medical testing each year, but otherwise you didn't drill at all. Um, you didn't have to go spend time on a Navy base or on a ship or anything like what uh, the Naval midshipmen do at the Academy. Um, so it, it really wasn't too much of an issue um, while we were in school. They, they let you just be a student. They want you to do well in school and uh, they get, uh, they get enough out of you when you get out of school. So. Yeah. Maybe the next place we go is that transition from school to to, to practicing within the Navy. And I, mm -hmm. I'm chuckling at the idea that you probably didn't have to do a lot of marketing for patients the first uh, four years <laughs> of your career, right? You had a, no. I think a captive audience, as you said, what, 
wh- where did you go first and kind of how was that laid out for you and how much decision did you have in the process or was it decided for you in terms of yeah. what those four years would look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that's, that's actually one of the things that I highlight with students. You know, I'm in, in Ames where Iowa State University is located and I get a lot of university students that come through my practice. Um, and some of them are interested in the military. And I had one just a few weeks ago that we, we sat down and talked about it. And one of the biggest advantages um, to being in the military is that your first year, uh, regardless of whether it's Navy, Air Force, Army, your first year out of school, they want you to get more education. And so they, they essentially mandate that you spend another year um, in one of their educational facilities in what's called an advanced education in general dentistry residency or mm-hmm. a general practice residency. And one um, is clinic-based, the other is hospital-based. And uh, so I did the, the former, the AEGD is what we call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did that at Great Lakes, uh, just north of Chicago. And so it's a, it's a boot camp there. And that's why I chose it. Um, the, the person in the military that decides where you're going to go and writes orders for you to go there is called a detailer, uh, which is sort of a funny, you know, name for that person. But, um, you know, I w- I had the good fortune of having a detailer who was a university of Iowa graduate in mm. dental school. And he <laughs> happened to, want to come to Iowa and visit. And I got together with him while he was there and introduced myself and just developed a relationship with him. And, um, and he let me pick where I wanted to, wanted to go. And so I, I went to great lakes cause it was a boot camp, and I knew boot camps always have a ton of people there. So, um, I had a great experience there. I learned a lot about oral surgery and, and endodontics or the, the specialty that does root canals, mm-hmm. um, especially, and those two specialties, you just got to do a ton of, cause you had all these new recruits from all over the country that needed wisdom teeth out and had broken down teeth that needed root canals. And so just a fabulous experience for me. Um, I, I you just hardly ever had an open appointment. There was always a patient to be seen and, that's what you need. And it's, it's true of every occupation, but especially for dentistry where you're, you're developing your clinical acumen, your decision-making, your diagnosis and treatment planning, and actually the hand skills. Uh, you just, even though you're competent and you know how to do it, you need to build your efficiency and your speed, and you just need to see patients in order to do that. So I had some great mentors there, uh, people that truly love to teach, and uh, it was a great experience for me. What were the naval obligations then outside of dentistry once you transitioned from dental school into uh, that AEGD that first year and beyond, I guess, too? Yeah. Well, that first year was a little bit unique um, in the fact that because it was a boot camp, the Navy had a lot of institutional objectives that they were trying to meet in the boot camp period. And a couple of those were uh, tobacco and alcohol education. Mm. And and interestingly, uh, sex education as well. And so who's better to do that than the dental residents? And uh, so I don't know how many people <laughs> get that kind of additional training after dental school, but we all did in our residency. And so a few times a month, we would go over to the boot camp and have a captive audience of 50 
recruits or so to share what we knew about those topics. So um, it, it was good experience. And the other Navy type responsibilities were kind of um, just really learning how to operate within the military environment. So you would go to change of command ceremonies and you would learn the customs and traditions of the Navy and how to fit in with the organization. Um, you would learn who to, who to salute and how to operate when you walk in a certain building and, and, naval correspondence via email and how to, how to just basically do a lot of those administrative things. Um, so that first year, even though you'd been through officer training um, prior to that, you're, you're really putting those, those things that you'd learned into action and into practice. And, uh, and, and you learn that you didn't learn everything in officer training. So uh, kind of learning trial by fire too. So yeah, I didn't want to gloss it over. Uh, you said something interesting a little while back that the Navy was actually better for you personally and some of the life skills maybe perhaps that you learned in it. For sure. Even more so than dentistry. Could you expand on that a little bit as well? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was 26 when I got out of dental school and, and I knew really nothing other than being in school. And I'd had some jobs. Um but like real life living, um, you know, you, you just didn't have a lot of life experience and um, had been in, involved in a lot of sports and activities and stuff growing up, which were great. Um, but, you know, in the Navy, just a lot of, hey, this is how the world works. Uh, this is how you get things done. This is how you uh, operate with people. This is how you do things right. This is what's professional. Um you know, there's there's people that you learn that they're just classy and they do things first class and they do things the right way. And there's people that cut corners. Uh, there's people that are, are just kind of jerks, you know. And and so what I saw was really the path in life too that that I wanted to take and the kind of person that I wanted to be. And and just with the leaders that I was exposed to in the Navy, one of the biggest benefits to me was really seeing what a true leader was. Hmm. Um, you, you know, there's like positional leadership, uh, John Maxwell talks about that, you know, there's kind of five levels to leadership and, and one of, one of the easy ones is just positional leadership, but it's actually not all that influential. Um, servant leadership is, is really where you can have a huge impact and actually where, um, you know, you get, you get things done and for the sake of the organization. And, and so, you know, in the Navy, they kind of had a saying, you're a naval officer first, and then you're whatever your job is uh, second, even though you probably spend more hours of a day doing your job. Um, there were several things that, that I had opportunities to uh, to learn how to do, even though I didn't volunteer for them. That um, was just a good life skill. You know, it's there's not a playbook for every little situation in life. And so you got to just figure it out. And that was a really great learning experience for me in the Navy that, you know, I, I just get a, you know, an invitation, I would call it an opportunity um, to learn a new skill and do a job that needed to get done. And, you know, one of the first times I, I said to somebody, I was like, well, I, I don't know how to do that. That's fine, but I don't know how to do it. And they looked at me like I was just the biggest idiot, you know, and, and just said, well, yeah, nobody knows how to do it. Just figure <laughs> it out. And uh, it's just a good skill um, to have and, and, 
it's great if there's a little bit of a playbook or you know someone that's done that before and you can get some pointers, but um, there's just a lot of jobs that need to get done and you learn how to be a self-starter and you learn how to be persistent and gritty and just, you know, get it done. And I want to dive in a little bit deeper to how that served you when you eventually moved into private practice, but to kind of close the loop on, on the Navy career, your four years there, after that first year at Great Lakes, you had a, what I, on the outside view as a, a really interesting experience. Could you share a little bit more about uh, the final three years of your Navy career and, and what that looked sure. like? Yeah. You know, you do that first year in the Navy as a dentist, um, as an educational year, and then whenever the Navy invests in you educationally, they ask you to, to be operational after that. And so what that means is you go with the Marines somewhere, you go overseas somewhere, or you go on a ship. And um, I joined the Navy to be on a ship. That was one of my goals. And I wanted to be on an aircraft carrier. And so that, that same detailer that uh, let me go to Great Lakes also uh, hooked me up to go to the USS Theodore Roosevelt, which is a nuclear powered aircraft carrier. And uh, it was stationed out in Norfolk, Virginia at the time, and it's in San Diego now. Um, but it was just a great, a great ship, just a, a ship with a reputation for being in the middle of, of important things. And, and uh, you know, people wanted to go on the TR and it was called the Big Stick. And um, there was just kind of an attitude on the ship, like we're going to be the best and we're going to do things right. And um, I just learned so much about how the fleet works and what a strike group is like with carriers and destroyers and submarines. And, and um, I love naval aviation. Uh, you know, I'm a product of the 80s, growing up in the 80s and Top Gun generation. So, uh, the what, last, was, uh, what was your nickname? Sorry to interrupt. Did you? Or, well, okay. It's, I mean, that's kind of fun. You know, they have call signs and usually your call sign isn't very flattering. Um, because it's some stupid thing that you did um, in front of too many people. And that becomes your call sign. Kind of like your high school nickname, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that. Um, and I, I just, I lucked out and I, I just, I don't know, they maybe gave me one too soon. Um, but they just called me General uh, because of my last name, uh, General Patton, ah. um, of course. And so it just kind of stuck. And uh, I guess I didn't do anything, you know, that egregious that they had to change it. So. I got off pretty easy. But I interrupted you when you were talking about the, the aircraft carrier. So that sounds like it was a unique experience. And you had mentioned uh, a little bit before, too, that it wasn't just dentistry. Uh, when you were on there, there was a lot of other things that you could pick up and, and learn yeah. and, and, and raise your hand to be a part of. Yeah, you could. You know, that was what was great. Uh, if you saw something interesting you wanted to be a part of, you could raise your hand and say, hey, you guys need help. And so I would help with uh, what we called underway replenishments, where you're getting supplies, whether it's jet fuel or uh, pallets of whatever uh, being transferred over to the ship while you're out at sea. And that was super. And I, you know, when people would come into the, to the dental clinic, I would also always ask them, Hey, uh, where are you from originally? And what do you do on the ship? And it was just a great way for me to get to know them and get to know our country, where people are from and what those places are like, and also what the Navy was like. And so I got to go all over the ship. I'd meet people and, and hear about what they did. And I'd, I'd say, hey, if I get some downtime when we're out at sea, could I come and hang out with you and, and see what you do? And so I got to hang out on the flight deck and be, you know, I got to drive the ship, um, you know, just lots of fun things that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do unless you knew somebody. 
And uh, I didn't get to ride in a jet. That was probably the only thing that, that I wanted to do that I didn't get to. Um, but it was just a great experience uh, to learn all sorts of things that you really are only going to learn if you're in the military. So it was great. How much of your time there was spent practicing dentistry? Is it 40 hours a week? Is it way less, way more than that? I'm sure there's an emergency factor as well. And were you, yeah. how many other dentists were on? I mean, a ship that big is what, several thousand people, right? So, yeah, it's a few thousand. Um, you know, when it's just the ship, we call it ship's company. The people that are actually assigned to the ship, uh, I think is it's around 3,000, give or take. Um, but then when you have all the airplanes and you have the strike group and the admiral, the strike group and his staff and all of the squadrons for the planes, you know, you can have over 5,000 people uh, on that on that aircraft carrier wow. at, a, at a time. And so we had four dentists full time and one oral surgeon. Um, and so we had a busy clinic. And, you know, when you're out at sea, you work long days and uh, we'd start at seven in the morning and be done around five um, in the afternoon, take a break for supper, come back. And we usually work a couple hours in the evening, um, as well. And so, uh, when we were in port and not out at sea, we, we usually tried to give people some more flexibility with their time. And we didn't necessarily work a full 40 hours. Cause when you're, you're at sea, you're working a ton of hours, um, and try to get people a little time with their family while we're in port too. So, but it was busy. You you do your dentistry and then, you know, you'd have drills in the evening. Sometimes you do drills from eight to 10 at night. Um, if you're doing a workup and getting certified to go on deployment, there's just a lot of stuff that you got to get checked off and uh, everybody on the ship is involved. And um, so as a dentist, you know, you, you still learn how to get firefighter training and how to put out fires. Sometimes you're on a firefighting team. Um, I was a summary court martial officer. Um, I chaired a couple of boards to monitor different uh, functions on the ship, and I coordinated the, the blood bank for our ship in the event that there was a mass casualty. And, you know, those are all things I had no idea how to do. And you just you learn how to do it while you're there. How was the dentistry different, if at all, um, in terms of the the issues that you were most commonly treating? Was it different? Or no, not, I was, guess relative to where you're at now in sort of middle America in a in a in a, a college community. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a lot of routine dentistry. Your your cleanings. We had one hygienist uh, on the ship. Uh, lots of fillings. We had a, an in-house lab on the ship, so we could make crowns or we could make partials. Um, and then, of course, we had the surgeon there, and so uh, we would do sedations and surgery. The surgeon was very busy on the ship. Um, but, you know, and we do root canals, um, it, it was a pretty full service dental clinic there. It's set up for you to be busy and to be able to do pretty much, um, whatever needs to be done. The other ships in the strike group don't have a dentist. So, you know, there were a couple of times when there would be a dental emergency on another ship and they would, uh, you know, get that guy or gal onto a, a helicopter and bring them over to the ship and, and then we'd treat them and send them back. So you kind of had to be on call for all the ships um, out there with you. So transitioning out of the Navy uh, into private practice, uh, maybe to, to recap what that was like, it, you, you didn't go straight into ownership. Could you remind me what that transition was like? Yeah. You know, we, I really wanted an opportunity where I could continue to learn. Um, 
you know, I just seen the value of having a mentor and having a teacher. And I, w- I wanted to find a practice where I could be mentored and, and just really see um, how to, how to really grow as a dental professional. And uh, so I was very fortunate to find a mentor and Dr. Good. Um, he was nearing kind of the retirement years of his practice and wanting to transition. And, uh, and he had a, a desire to mentor as well. And so it really worked out well for us. Um, very similar practice philosophies. And, and uh, so just a, a great match for me to, to start to develop an idea, seeing what does great dentistry look like? Um, and, you know, it's so important in every occupation to kind of develop your mind's eye of what, what is that really, what's, what should that look like? What's, what's excellent? What's, Hey, this is acceptable, but this is excellent in what we're striving for. And so that was the opportunity that I had with Dr. Good and, and to really learn, um, a ton of things that he has been willing to pass down that he's learned over the years. And that didn't end uh, when you when you bought the practice from him. It continued uh, for several years beyond that. Correct? It did. Yeah, he was he was sixty five or sixty six when I joined the practice, and he was still in good health and loved dentistry. And we just it was an open ended agreement that um, hey, you're always going to have a chair here to practice, and as long as you want to keep coming to work, um, I'll have a chair for you. Hmm. And uh, so he just retired this last year. Uh, during the, kind of the COVID shutdown, um, he was going to retire anyway. And so um, it just, you know, was a little more abrupt, unfortunately, than what we'd planned, but had a great career, uh, 50 years in dentistry, and wow. just a lot, a lot to be really proud of. Just a, I, I say he's a dentist, dentist, you know, if that makes any sense. Mm. Um, you know, if a dentist really wanted to have some excellent, excellent dentistry done, you know, he's the guy you'd call. And uh, it was just a terrific clinical mentor for me. Seems like a heck of a compliment. I'm not a dentist, but I, I recognize the compliment in what you're saying. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, to maybe even to, to transition a little bit more into how the military and your background there blended with your private practice. What were some of the lessons from the military that you then tried to apply to how you wanted to, to run and, and build your practice? Yeah, that's I learned so much. Um, the big thing was standardization of what you do, you know, having systems and and processes and um, you know, the military is a huge organization. And so having ways to standardize things, you know, makes it more consistent as a product. You know, if you're going to have a cleaning done in Siganella um, that should be a pretty similar experience as to what you would have in San Diego or in Naples or Okinawa. And, uh, and so the record keeping and just, you know, the more people you introduce into your own organization, once you own a business, the more you need to be on the same page with, with how things are done so that you can ensure that that product that you're, you're providing and the service that you're providing is consistently the same and of excellent quality. And so I definitely learned the value of systems and processes. Um, but, but on the flip side, I kind of learned too, that there there's a bit of a, um, of a rigidity too to the system in the military where it's like, now this is, this is how we do it. You can do it this way, but you know, there's no deviation from that. Um, and, and I'm a little bit more of a, Hey, we're just, we need to do what we need to do to get the job done. And if we need to tweak something or think outside of the box, something's not working right, or it's outdated or, 
there's new technology or whatever the case may be. I, I like to have that flexibility too. And being able to adapt to how your circumstances change, I think is really important in business. And, uh, you know, in the military, we'd, we'd run into problems, you know, especially from a staffing standpoint, you know, you'd be short dentists for a few years, and then it would take all this time to develop a, a plan to recruit more dentists, have Congress pass off on it, have Congress appropriate money for it, and then have the Navy actually institute it. And then you train the people and get them in. And it takes hmm. years, you know, and then you get overstaffed and they start cutting people. But it's like you're always eight to 10 years behind the curve. Um, and that's just one of the hard things about that system. Um, so in, in private practice and in owning a business, you do have to balance those two things. You can't always be changing and adapting. You need to have some consistency and standards and, and protocols. But you also you got to have the big picture in mind, too, and be willing to, to change things when it makes sense. What are one or two practical examples of how you've implemented those those systems and standardizations, as you alluded to? The the first one was when I joined the aircraft carrier, um, I met the executive officer who's the, the number two officer on the ship. And he um, I remember looking at his bio before I went in to just kind of see what I was getting into. And he'd gotten a Ph.D. in, in Lean Sigma <laughs> Um, methodology, and I had no idea what that was, and had to had to look it up. And of course, it's it's all about production efficiency and logistics, and and you know how to produce your product in a more efficient way that's more cost effective. And and obviously, the military would be interested in that. And in a dental practice, it's the same way. You know, why stock every single room? and have to stock every single room with something if you can put it in a tub, you know, with a bunch of other things. And then all you have to do is organize the tub and you can take it wherever you need it. Um, so there's, there's things like that, that you can standardize or why, why have a hundred of something in a room if you're really only going to use 10 of those in a week and you can restock it once a week, you know, just kind of some efficiency things about how you set up, for different procedures and what equipment you use and, and how you, how you maintain things. I mean, the military has so many things to maintain. And uh, so we have checklists, you know, for all these different things that we maintain in our office to make sure that those pieces of equipment uh, continue to operate as they need to for us to do it, what we do. So those are probably the biggest things um, from that standpoint that I learned and took into the private practice world. Was it a pretty, did you hit the ground running with sort of that mindset and that efficiency? Not or at I all. Guess? Not at all. <laughs> That's kind of a leading Some point. would say, yeah, some would say I'm not, I'm not running right now even. Um, you know, it's, it's, to, I mean, to be completely honest, you're, you're always figuring things out. You're always figuring out some blind spots that you have or things that could operate a little better. Um, but trial, trial and error with some things. Um, networking with other dentists and other like-minded uh, business owners. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that cross over industries. You know, maybe it's a, a technological thing where how you confirm people for their appointments or um, how you communicate with people or market something or, you know, whatever. And so you're always learning and, and it, I've learned from my mistakes so much. I, I just, I'm a perfectionist. I don't like making mistakes, but I've had to learn to really, embrace them for what they are, uh, which is opportunities to learn and get better at things. So 
I can relate. I've had to learn to be okay with good enough sometimes. Good enough sometimes <laughs> is good enough. That's right. Uh, That's right. So kind of final question as we start to wrap up, those efficiencies that you've created with your, your systemizations and your standardizations, what, what do you do with some of that slack, if you will, that you've created? I mean, it could be more profitable always, obviously, but you know, there's the time factor and there's the things away from dentistry. How do you think about that? You know, um, I've been in practice 15 years and it's long enough that you start to see um, life's not about working harder all the time. Uh, hard work is is foundational, um, and every single dentist out there is working hard. I guarantee it. Um, and and sort of everybody that's in the trenches of dentistry, so to speak, knows what it's like to work hard. It's it's more of an issue of are you are you being productive, and are you you know are you accomplishing the things that are most important? And and that does change over time. I think for every dentist, your priorities change a little bit. Your interests. In dentistry will change a little bit and evolve um, as different technologies evolve and your interests evolve. So I think that that's what's changed for me. I've I've really learned to love the, the business side, um, even though it can be maddening at times, um, especially in a pandemic, you know, where things are always changing, it seems like, and uh, the rules are not clear. Um, you know, it's it's kind of just being willing to reevaluate things consistently and saying, Hey, am I, am I on track? Am I doing the most important things right now? Or, or maybe are there some changes that would be, be helpful to think about and implement? And I think that's a healthy way to try to achieve some balance. And I know from your website, it looks like you give back a little bit or try to give back uh, to the community with at least a little bit of the slack that you've created. Yeah. There's, there's kind of two ways that we did that. The, the Iowa Dental Association um, has for many years done a Mission of Mercy, which is just a phenomenal event. And they rotate that around to different communities throughout Iowa so that different geographic areas can have an opportunity to take advantage of it. And I participated with that for a few years, and it was really fun. But one of the years that I was driving out of town um, to go to that event, I, I kind of just had this thought, why? how many people am I driving past on my way out of town hmm. that I could be helping in my own community? And uh, another dentist, Dr. Jacob Overman in, in Ames, who's a good friend of mine, he and I kind of just started talking about it. And we said, you know, we should just do our own in Ames. And, you know, we'll just rent some food trucks, give away some free food and, and have some bounce houses and just kind of make it a fun day, um, you know, and try to help as many people as we can. And uh, it was just the most fun day of the year. It's just a blast. And the people that you meet, the stories that are created, um, it's just really a blessing to those people and to the community. And, and it serves a need. You know, dentistry is, is, is expensive and it's, you know, just the cost factor alone um, makes it uh, very difficult for some people to afford. And so it, we, we know that one day, one day a year, two days a year, we're, we're reaching out and just really inviting the community to come in and, and we do whatever we can. Um, being a veteran and, and just always having a lot of respect for, for all of the folks that have served our country. Um, I also specifically wanted to set up a day to, we'd be able to serve, um, veterans in our community. And so usually around Veterans Day, in the fall, we have another uh, day where we just treat veterans and their families. And uh, again, just the stories are great. It's 
one of those days you get to the end of the day and you're like, you know, I mean, I treated X number of people, but they actually kind of treated me. You, mm-hmm. know, you just have a, a sense of gratitude, um, you know, with regard to the stories that you hear, you just, it sort of just rekindles inside of you that, that appreciation for the sacrifices that have been made uh, for all of us to enjoy what we know as America and the freedom that, that's so unique to our country. And uh, we have a lot to be, to be grateful for. So it's those two days in particular are just two of my favorite days of the year uh, for those reasons. Yeah. The fulfillment that you get out of that, it really comes through to hear you tell the story. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you to, for sharing your services and your skills with, with the community. Uh, my pleasure. For, as we start to wrap up here, for people that are they're interested in, in getting in touch with you or learning a little bit more about your practice, what's, what's the best way to do that, Brandon? Sure. Well, uh, the website has a, has a link on there that you can reach out to us by email. And that's pretty simple, www.amesfamilydental. Or I, I let people, I mean, you can call the office, uh, 515-233-2898. And uh, there's a way to get in touch with, uh, with me through that, that phone number too, even the voicemail. So um, it's, you know, it's dentistry is such a great profession because even on your, you know, your hardest day, you can go home at the end of the day, you just can have the satisfaction of the, the things that you've done during the day to help people. And we're fortunate to be able to fix teeth and get people out of pain and just have a very tangible thing to look at and feel satisfaction from. And so if there's a way we can help anyone out, we're happy to. That's Dr. Brandon Patton, owner dentist of Ames Family Dental. Really enjoyed the conversation, Dr. Brandon. I thank you for sharing your perspective and your story and for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. Carroll Advisors, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Terrell Advisors, LLC. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.